We're still in chapter 1. Last week, we started the paragraph from from verse 16, chapter 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21, as uh, Peter uh, describes this experience that they had on the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. That's sort of what we covered last week. Jesus is transfigured, his his face turns radiant, his clothes are whiter than ever. That, That glory of the Son of God that was veiled in the incarnation uh, shined forth, it, in one sense, peeled back that they might see, uh, Peter, James, and John might see uh, this glory. When Moses asked, remember Moses asked to see the glory, and God said, you'll die if you do, but hide in the rock and I'll show you my backside, and the radiance of the glory shined on his face but it was a reflected glory of God that faded away. He'd put a veil on his face so the people didn't see the glory of God uh, fade away. Here, this is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, not the reflected glory, but the glory of his being, of his person, uh, his very deity. And so Peter's pointing out that he and James and John were eyewitnesses of the majesty uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were earwitnesses also of the Father uh, speaking. Unlike anybody today, no one audibly hears the Father speak today. No one uh, sees Jesus in his glory today physically, as they did, except through his word. We see him through his word. Uh, they, they saw the unveiled majesty. They heard the voice of the majestic glory of God, he says, Peter says here, uh, audibly. And he says, so we're not relying on legends. We're not relying on myths but we're telling you the absolute truth. We have been preaching to you. We uh, apostles have told you the truth uh, of what we saw, of what we heard regarding the power and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now he turns and in verse 19, he begins, he goes now to speak about the word of God that we have, that they had that we have, um, really it's at the end of verse 18, we ourselves heard, no, I'm sorry, it's verse 19, we have the more, 
the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So we have the prophetic word more fully uh, confirmed is the old ESV rendering. Verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That's the, I'm sorry, that's the newer, uh, the latest ESV uh, translation. And so what he's saying here, we had an experience on the mountain. We saw something. We heard something. Uh, And that prophetic word, the word from the prophets of the old, was confirmed by what we saw and what we heard. That confirms the message that the prophets were preaching, that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, The truth of the New Testament that they presented represents a fulfillment of the old. Uh, There's a tendency for some to minimize the Old Testament and the value of the Old Testament to New Covenant Christians today. Um, But really, you can't understand the New Testament apart from understanding it's a fulfillment of the old. Augustine Uh, says the New Testament is the Old Testament concealed and the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed. Or no, the the New Testament in the Old Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. I'm sorry, I'm not even reading my notes. The New Testament is in the Old Testament revealed, uh, concealed. The Old Testament, you want to get your notes right? The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. That's how uh, Augustine is translated to having said it. Or we could say the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And then the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Uh, And so if one of the reasons that there's a lack of a fear of God or uh, an awe and a reverence of God, in part, could be linked to a lack of understanding of the Old Testament. And essentially, the Old Testament is, is what we have. It's the autobiography of who God is, the character of God. We know so much about the character of God from the Old Testament that's not uh, explicitly revealed in the New And so if we don't know the old, we don't see God in all of his holiness and righteousness that he has revealed to us. Uh, So God's revelation of himself comes to us in the narratives, as Corey's been preaching through Genesis. In the the law, we would see in the rest of the Pentateuch, in the Psalms, in the poetry, in the prophets, and their declarations to the people of God and their uh, prophecies of the coming and the future. Uh, And what 
the original ESV said, said it this way. Look at that first phrase of 19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So the, pro, the prophetic word is confirmed by our experience. We have that. The original ESV said it this way, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word. Now, it's not a lot different, but what Peter could be saying that way is we saw his majesty. We saw, we heard God speak, but we have something even more sure than that, the prophetic word of God. Um, most of the translations do it as the ESV has it in, in the ESV. You're probably reading. I only, I, I only point that out because the Word of God is much more confirming than any experience you can ever have. And my illustration or my, uh, my application of that truth what did Peter do when he had the experience on the mountain? For Moses, Elijah, and for Jesus, he couldn't even uh, uh, he couldn't even interpret or understand the experience he was having rightly. Yeah, yeah. I, and again, Peter's just, he's excited. I mean, it would have been exciting to be there, but we have a more sure word. We have something more certain than any experience. Now, look, I don't want to pull experience out of our Christian life. We've all had marvelous experiences, namely in your conversion. And then throughout your Christian life, but these experiences have to be founded upon the word of God and interpreted by the Word of God. And so whatever your experience is, you know, uh, uh, it, it was never said to me in so many words, but I've talked to a number of people. I don't care what the Bible says. I know what I experience. Right? I mean, uh, there's a sense of that in s- some folks, and, and that's okay. You should care what the Bible says because that's your only way to interpret your experience you'll get your experience and the understanding of what's going on fouled up. But, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart in which you are doing well, he says, uh, it says you will do well. It's, it's a present tense, but we continue to do well as we pay attention to this Word of God as a lamp shining in a dark place, a dismal place, I think is maybe how is it. Uh, uh, maybe New American says dismal. I'm not sure. One of the translations says in a dismal place, a dark place, uh, the lamp shining in the night, in the house. They had no electricity. This lamp was 
help them in this dark place. Look at chapter 2. I want to read the first three verses of chapter 2 to bring it up into here. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. The condemnation, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. That's the dark place he's talking about. That's the kind of dark place in which we live. If you go back there to verse 19, and, and we have the, more, the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp sh- shining in a dark place. We live in a dark place. Uh, <coughs> Peter has uh, said that uh, the false prophets rose up among you. They've already had false prophets come. And he said they'll be followed by false teachers who will secretly bring in heresies of destruction. Uh, heresies are usually, usually begin just to tick off. And by the time you go down the road very far, you're way off. Heresies of destruction, and notice also denials of their master. They will exploit, he says, they'll exploit many of you with their false words. I was, uh, <laughs> I was reading about this word. False, this is a different word from what you have up there. They have pseudo-prophets and pseudo-teachers. This is a, a different word, these false words. It's a word that is the idea of molding, molded something, something that's molded or shaped. Uh, it, the, the Greek word is plastos, which is a root of the word from which we get our word plastic. So they're bringing you words that they've shaped to lead you astray. False words, molded words, plastic words. Come, uh, I think about some that come with general ideas that can then be applied in many different ways that divert you from the truth. Um. And we'll, we'll look at chapter 2 even closer once we get there. But they'll exploit you in this way, he says, speaking evil or blaspheming the truth. These man-made, fabricated, counterfeit uh, teachings. And in their greed, they'll cheat, they'll cheat you by telling you made-up stories. And it'll lead many of you to follow this sensuality. And it may be the sensuality of the false teachers, but it also feeds into our own sensual evil desires. Uh, 
and it leads into the same destruction, the swift destruction for which they are destined, he says. They're destined to condemnation. They're destined to destruction. (coughs) So Peter's talking about a very dark place, not just a a dark room at night that doesn't have a, a lamp burning, but a darkness of danger, destruction. And the Word of God is the lamp that shines uh, to keep from falling into their, falling prey to their teachings. So those who refuse to, refuse the light of the Word of God through His Son uh, prefer to walk in darkness. That's our nature. That's our natural bent. And... uh, God gives us over to our fallen condition. Our foolish hearts are darkened. And there's nothing more foolish. Our foolish hearts are darkened. There's nothing more foolish than to refuse the light of the one brought by the truth, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. It has nothing to do with intellect, everything to do with the condition of our heart. And having forsaken that one hope by our one help that comes through the prophetic word, which declares Christ has come in his majesty, they're destined for destruction. But the powers of darkness were not able to extinguish the light. They thought they had. They tried. And Peter says we do well to pay attention to that light until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. What's the morning star? Venus is the morning star, right? Because it comes before daybreak, right? Just before daybreak. Um, Let me just, just a short journey through from Numbers, Balaam, you know, the name Balaam, given an oracle, a, a, a prophecy, if you will, preaching. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A star and a scepter will arise out of Israel. Balaam prophesied that way back in Numbers. Uh, And uh, it's a prophecy concerning the Messiah that the Jews really took to their hearts. They knew this prophecy well. And then when we get to the end of Genesis, where Jacob is blessing his children, his final blessing, he says the scepter will not depart from Judah. The scepter, the sign of authority of a king. So it's promised uh, the scepter will not depart from Judah. Uh, So the promised one, of course, will come from the tribe of Judah, which goes to David, and then ultimately to David's greater son, the Lord Jesus. And concluding in Revelation in 22 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify, have sent my angel to testify to you about those, these things for the churches. I am the 
root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So Jesus is the morning star here. And uh, in verse 19, we need to pay attention to the word until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. So here's a question. Is that referring to the end of the age? Or has this already happened to many of us here? Uh, Not completely clear, but we are too. Of course, we're to pay heed, to pay attention to the word of God until we either pass on or the Lord Jesus does come. Uh, But the morning star rising in our hearts when you were a child of darkness, you came to embrace Christ. It's because the Holy Spirit had come into the darkness of your heart and penetrated it, took your stony heart out, gave you a fleshy heart. The eyes of our heart, Paul says, were enlightened. We wonder how we, how we missed that before. I don't know how many times you heard the gospel before you were saved. I don't know how many times I heard the gospel before I was saved but I don't remember one. My eyes were dark. Huh? Dead man can't hear. hear. I'm sure I did. I hadn't been in church a lot, but I was in church some. But the Holy Spirit is the one who causes the morning star to rise in our hearts. And, uh, of course, that goes to the doctrine of man, right? Right? Paul says God reveals himself to all people. Everybody knows there's a God. But what do we do? Romans 1, what do we do? Well, everybody knows God, right? Exchange the uh, truth for a lie. Suppress that truth that we know to be true. Uh, Puts us without excuse. We've got no excuse. We worship everything but our Creator. And really, that's until we come to that place, we'll never really understand the grace and glory of the gospel. Uh, until we understand we were dead in our sin. Every person knows God exists. But every person will not affirm the truth or welcome that knowledge. Our problem is we refuse what we know to be true. Uh, We know the eternal power of God. We know his divine attributes. That's not enough to save us. But we reject what we do know. Refuse to buy the truth, and so we're left without an excuse. And Paul comes along, he says this, 1 Corinthians 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness or folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, It takes the Spirit of God to help us understand the things of God. And so Paul uses this idea of knowledge, Peter, Paul, Peter, the New Testament, in two sort of two ways. I'll say it not the way the theologians will talk about it, but the way we, uh, I was brought up talking about the difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. The intellectual knowledge versus a deep, relational, intimate knowledge of God. Um, the intimate knowledge, the heart knowledge of God. Adam knew his wife. That depth of relationship, a relationship of love and intimacy. Paul says everyone has a mental knowledge, intellectual knowledge that there is a God. Everyone has it. They just don't. The fool says there is no God. It's a foolish thing to deny God. I mean, because if you really deny God absolutely, you're declaring yourself to be God, that you're omniscient, you know everything. Uh, But the fool says in his heart there is no God, but many never have their eyes opened by the Spirit, to experience that deep and intimate personal relationship uh, with God. So, you know, we in, in the old days, James used to sing, I Saw the Light. Used to be a gospel tune, a revival tune. What do we mean when we said we saw, we saw the light? I did too, James, by the way. What, what do we... Yeah, we were converted. We saw the light. We couldn't see the light. We were living in darkness. What, Charlie? Did you? Yeah, our eyes have been open. How is it used today? Kind of a cynical way sometimes. Oh, he saw the light, or someone will say something to you, and you, oh yeah, I see. You've seen the light, but they're not really talking about you got converted. You just got smart. Maybe even a smart aleck. Along that line, I find it intriguing and reassuring that Peter says here, we, we ourselves heard this very voice. This would indicate an audible sound, a very voice from heaven, as opposed to what, how many times have you heard have someone tell you, say, God told me. And generally, that's in alignment with something that's not right on. Yeah. It's typically where you hear that. Well, why why, why do you want to go down and what God has told you? Really? Yeah. 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 Um. Yes. And if he did, ought we not write that down and treat it as if he in fact told you? Would we not, would, would that not make it on equal par with Scripture? I, and I've asked that question yeah. before, and it, it's a real backup. 
Well, yeah, and, and, and we want to be careful. The Lord does subjectively speak, right? I mean, he does lead us in ways that we don't understand. But it'll never be contrary to the word of God. Because that's the second part of it. Yeah. What does he say? Yeah. What, what did they hear? Hmm. Yeah. Anybody else? What happens when we come to faith in Christ? Uh, Corey had me read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Sunday morning uh, before he preached. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. This is creation, right? God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where where do we see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God? In the face of Jesus. In the face of Jesus Christ. So that's all that Peter's talking about. The light, the glory, and the knowledge. We see the light of the glory of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead brings that dawn that breaks in through the darkness into our hearts to bring life to our mortal bodies, as Paul says in Romans 8. 20 and 21, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, if we take this, it's really Peter's way of saying all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The doctrine of Scripture alone, right? The authority of the Scriptures. Scripture doesn't originate from man, but from God. That's what what Peter's saying. Uh, The issue, there were all kinds of issues in the Reformation. What were they? Issues of the Reformation. Justification. Justification. Authority. Authority of uh, the, Pope versus the, word of God. the Pope versus the Word of God. The authority of the Word of God. Um, you know, they, when Luther's at Worms at the Diet, where he's having to defend himself, And he was shown that his opinions differed from the Pope's letters, papal encyclicals, the letters that the Popes had put out, from the church fathers, the early church fathers, some of the councils. And Luther says, Popes and councils can err, but the Bible can't. And that's when he says, essentially, my conscience is held captive by the word of God. 
I stand right here. If you can convince me otherwise, I'll recant. Uh, in his little book uh, on Luther, Roland Bainton, when they asked or told him to recant, Luther didn't just say, I'm standing on the word of God. I mean, he's standing against 220, I think, uh, of the prelates, the religious people, political people. He didn't just say, I stand on the word of God. He said, uh, could I have another day? <laughs> he wanted to pray and make sure that he came back firmer than he was the day before and said, my conscience is captive by the word of God. And <clears throat> it's here that I stand. So what did he do? He, he uh, translated the Bible into the language of the people, another capital offense. The critics, the church, the Roman church said, that's just going to open up floodgates of heresy. You give the Bible to any normal person and they're just going to twist it to what they want to hear. And in some ways that did happen, didn't it? Still happening today, right? Um, Luther knew that. But he said the main things are plain. And what's necessary for salvation is clear. And if the floodgates of heresy open, so be it. Men, ought to be, men and women ought to be able to read their Bibles. Uh, and so that led, of course, to the private interpretation, the idea of private interpretation. According to the Reformers in the history of the Reformation, Every Christian has the right to interpret the Bible. Do we believe that? People die for that, have died for that. At the Council of Trent, which was the counter-reformation of the Catholic Church, counter to the, here's what they said. No one shall presume to interpret the Scriptures relying on his own judgment in matters of faith and morals, pertaining to the edification of Christian doctrine, distorting the Holy Scriptures in accordance with his own conception. Agree with that? Listen again. No one shall presume to interpret the Scriptures relying on his own interpretation in matters of faith and morals pertaining to the edification of Christian doctrine, distorting the Holy Scriptures in accordance with his own conception. That says no one can do this, right? We buy that, right? Don't we? No one can interpret it according to his own, what do they say? His own judgment distorting the scriptures. We buy that. Yes, yes, buy that. <laughs> it's the second half of their statement. No one shall presume to interpret them contrary to the sense which Holy Mother Church, to whom it belongs, to judge their true sense and interpretation and what it has held and holds. We buy that? No. The church does not determine the interpretation of the Word of God at all. God does. It's His Word. And yes, 
we can twist it. Yes, we can misinterpret it. But there's only Peter saying private interpretation does not, is not for you, for anyone. No one can interpret it according to their own uh, judgment or distort it according to their own beliefs. We're given the privilege of interpreting, of interpreting the Bible for ourselves. Right? But there's also a responsibility to interpret it correctly. And that's what Luther was arguing for. Uh, you know, what do you do when you're discussing or disputing issues of disagreement? What do you hear when that happens? That's your interpretation. And you say, yep, because I just said that's what I interpreted it to mean. You don't say it sarcastically like that. But you say it. Yes, I just told you that's what I interpret, how I see, how it is. And that's why we study. That's why we guard our interpretation carefully. That's why we're serious about what we choose to believe and understand from God's Word. So we do our best to learn to study the Bible. Um, And knowing and reading uh, reliable commentators who we stand on their shoulders. Men have gone before us with many things and written them and brought them to us. They're not infallible. No one's infallible. Um, But they can help us, at least help us to keep us from errors of ignorance. Those who, those, my experience, those who will say, me and Jesus in the Bible only, and will read nothing, come up with some quirky understandings and interpretations. Um, We may go into error, but as we trust different preachers, different commentators, we learn who we can trust, and they help us not to be ignorant and make uh, and develop uh, uh, these bad beliefs. There's no guarantee one day we'll not have any more questions. But until then, we fight hard to know the truth, to understand that there's only one right interpretation. And that's what Peter is trying to say. The authority is the word of God. Private interpretation always carries with it the heavy burden of accurate interpretation. And notice what he says. Uh, He doesn't use, Paul says, all scriptures breathed out by God, right? Inspired. Inspired, uh, unfortunate almost, because it inspired. No, it's God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. 
and is profitable. Uh, here's how Peter says that. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No, never by the will of God. It's very emphatic the way Peter writes it. No, never by the will of man, but by the Holy Spirit. So it's found in God alone. The source, the origin, the authority of the word is is God alone. Uh, moved along, the idea moved along again as a ship with wind in its sail. Uh, totally, these authors were totally dependent on the Spirit. They were superintended by the Spirit, and yet, in the mystery of this inspiration, not written by God's hand, it's written by their hand, by men who are moved and protected by uh, the authority of the Spirit of God. Didn't do away with each author's personality. Use their own vocabulary, their style, their education or non-education. And yet every writer is preserved from error. And so we can say, thus says the Lord as the prophet said, and yet know that it's coming from the human personality of the author as the Holy Spirit of God puts the curbs up as he writes. They weren't secretaries as, uh, as the Muslim would say about his Quran or her Quran. Uh, that it was every word was dictated. Uh, these writers, Peter, is an instrument of divine revelation carried along by the Spirit and given us. And if we reject Peter, then we're rejecting God Himself in His revelation to us. And so we have a more sure word. We use this word to examine the experiences of our Christian life. But the word of God is our authority. And we want to stay with Peter on that. Anything you want to say or ask or add? All right, we're in chapter 2 next week. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We, we confess We don't know it as we ought. But we thank you, Father, that you are continuing to work in us and you will bring the work that you began in us to completion on the day that you call us home or the Lord Jesus returns. Help us to be faithful students. Lord, determined to know you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.